0: To stay in this place as we now approach the Word. And is that my phone? No, no somebody else's. <laughs> Let's just continue to allow God to minister to us as we look at the Word together. We're in our series on God's self portrait. And this week we're looking at, I'm definitely going to need these, this week we're looking at compassionate and merciful. And boy, as he brought that out in the worship that these guys have prepared this week, but also in the prophetic words that we've had. 200 million people in a survey across 10 countries in four continents claim to have experienced this. One third of North America in a survey says they've experienced this. And three quarters of doctors in North America believe that it happens. And half of these doctors in North America state that they themselves have directly observed it happening. In China, the allowed or permitted state-run church state that 50% of all Christians give this as one of the key reasons why they're part of the church. 80% of half a million Nepalese new Christians state this as the reason why they're following Christ. And in 1981, a survey of Chennai in India showed that 10% of those who didn't believe in Jesus had said that this had happened when they were prayed for in his name. God is compassionate and merciful. It's one of the first self-descriptions that he gives to Moses recorded in Exodus 34. I am the Lord, the Lord. And of course, he's positioning his nature towards us. He's identifying himself in relationship to his creation. That people might know first and foremost what he's like. What is God's countenance? What's his approach? What's his mode of being towards humanity? It is compassionate and merciful. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh, the great I Am. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the great I Am, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. Wow. I'm always fascinated by the story of Jonah. He's a cantankerous individual. And when God's anger that he prophesied didn't come to pass in Nineveh, it says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled to Tarshish, for I know that you're a gracious and merciful God slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. In fact, when you trace it through the Old Testament, one of the key attributes that the nation of Israel glowed with amongst the nations was the fact that God was, A, present amongst his people. And be that he was a God of compassion and mercy. You read through their laws of Leviticus and Moses and all the rest, and you get those glimpses where God is at work amongst the people. You have Jesus saying to those that are healed, Well, go, go to the temple and let the priests know in accordance with the law of Moses because you've been healed. Healing was occurring throughout the Old Testament. It's a part of who he is and what he does on the earth today. It's why we sang about it. This is the God who is active in his creation. He is not absent in any way. You see, compassionate comes from this root word, rahum which I probably completely mispronounced, but it doesn't matter. To love, to love deeply, to have tender affection for, to cherish, soothing as a parent with a child. It's a heartbeat of God that is intimate. When we translate it into the English, we get this association of with and passion. And passion, as we know when we refer it to Easter and Christ's passion on the cross, is that whole idea of his suffering, his outwelling, exposed expression of love that leads him into ultimate suffering for somebody else's sake. And so what do we have here? God's willing to suffer with his people. He feels what we feel. It connects with him. He's not distant and far off. He's proximate. He's close. This is the point of the dwelling with Adam and Eve in the garden. This is the point of the temple, the tabernacle that precedes it. Giving the dwelling place of God as a central part of who Israel are as a nation. And then the temple built and God comes down, fills the place with fire and smoke and no one can do a thing. Their meeting's messed up. And then Jesus comes and he cleanses the temple because it's being misused for profit. And they say to him, how dare you do this? And he says, you tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. He is the dwelling place of God. He's standing there right in their midst, telling them, letting them know, this is who I am. It's no longer going to be a building in one place, but it's going to be here with me and me amongst my people. We've done a series in Ephesians, haven't we? And we've been understanding that the church is now the dwelling place of God. That we, his children, carry the spirit and the presence of God wherever we go. And that he never leaves us nor forsakes us because he dwells in us. If we turn to 1 Corinthians 12 that we looked at in just a recent series. We see the expression of God in the church, his mercy and his compassion expressed amongst his people. He says this. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation... Of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, another the gift of healing. By the same spirit to another the working of miracles to another the work of prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues but the one and the same spirit works all these things distributing each to individuals as he wills that's you that's you Do you see his mercy and his compassion in that list? He's giving people wisdom and understanding. He's giving by the Spirit understanding through prophetic voices. Where do we go next? What does this season mean? What are we about? What are you saying to the church right now, Lord? He's giving a ministry of healing. Why? Why? Because he wants to validate his son and the gospel of his son. And he wants to do it again and again and again. I don't think that's me. No worries. We are a completely different group of people now than when we first were created because of christ you are made new you are completely different and the bible tells a story of the kingdom rule and reign of god on the earth and so the church is the place of his rule and his reign and it is expected by the father to see his rule and reign worked out through us So I want us to pray for some stuff this morning. I want us to pray for some of these gifts to become more and more apparent amongst us. Because he's gifts, right? It's what he does amongst his body. That's why Paul's writing to them. Letting them know. It's by one spirit. This isn't a multiplicity of different spirits. This is the Holy Spirit of God, the spirit of truth, coming and filling the church and giving birth to different gifts according to his will for the glorification of Jesus. But it's also in the glorification of Jesus and outworking of his compassion and his mercy in the earth. So who's up for being gifted by the Holy Spirit to glorify Jesus? because you really don't just want it to be me. (laughs) Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we come before you right now. We recognise you seated on the throne of all authority and all wisdom and all rule. And we ask that you manifest by your spirit your gifts amongst the church here. Lord Jesus, we thank you for gifts that are already being expressed. We honour you for those. We ask that you take those that have been buried and you cause them to be unburied and raised up. We ask that gifts that have been given but have been hampered through structure or limitation be released amongst your body. And we ask you, God, to come by your spirit and fall on people with new gifts, new expressions of your spirit they've never had before for the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. Be lifted up, be glorified and honoured in our day, Lord Jesus. Cause the body to be strengthened. Raise our gaze, lift our eyes, cause faith to increase. Yeah, I pray for specific gifts of faith, Lord. Gifts of faith amongst the body. Birth that in people today. Lord, birth of prophetic. Greater clarity from your throne. Greater authority by your spirit, Lord. Discernment. Let us see what's going on in the world. Let us pray accordingly. Let us speak truth into darkness. Let us speak power into circumstance, Lord. Bless us with those. Wisdom, Lord God. Bless us with wisdom. Cause your spirit to flow. That there be wisdom for this community, for the church, but outside the church. For the council, for the NHS, for our places of work. Lord Jesus, overflow this place. Lord Jesus, we give ourselves to you afresh. Come and do all you want to do. have got a book here called Miracles Today by Craig Keener. I don't know if you've ever read the, one of his first books, which is 1,100 pages long, full of medically verified testimony of healings that have happened across the planet. And they are just as broad and wide as you could imagine. When John the Baptist was in prison and he wasn't sure who Jesus was, he had a wobble, we might put it like that, And he's like, What's going on? Are you really the one? What does Jesus say to him? Well, he makes it very clear, doesn't he? He says, Go tell John the things you've seen and heard that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to him. That's happening. He's fulfilling the Isaiah prophecies. God is the God who brings thee instead. Instead of mourning, instead of brokenness, instead of depression, instead of sorrow, he brings wholeness and healing. And when Jesus stands up at the beginning of his testimony to the world of who he is and what he's about, he stands up and reads from that scroll recorded that moment in Luke 4. And he reads from Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor and sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He's passed that mission and mandate on to us. His compassion is overflowing. His mercy is overflowing. And what he's saying to us today is, I'm closer than you might believe I am. We have a problem. The problem is that we live in really cold water. We live in a secular society that says, no thank you. That have been instilled through the philosophy of David Hume and others that says, impossible, can't be possible, and if you believe it, you're a muppet. You've got to be kidding me, right? And then we grow up through the education system that says, rationality and intelligence, the ability to process and understanding are the highest virtues of human ability. And therefore, if you fail those, you are nothing. You're a mess. You're a what's the point? How can you believe this rubbish? That's why I presented the statistics at the beginning. How can 10% of a city say, although I don't believe in Jesus Christ, I know I've been healed when somebody prayed for me in his name? That's outstanding. Put your psychometric and psychological hat on that one and ask if these people are trying to self-define their experiences through the lens of their predefined understanding of religion. He breaks in in so many different places, it's unreal. The question for us is, what are we going to get hold of in him? Are we going to allow the cold water that we live in to be the thing that affects our temperature? Are we going to be heavenly thermostats that change the temperature in the spaces we walk into and say, no, the kingdom of God comes here today because it's in me? So what did Jesus say? He said, the kingdom of God is within you. It's not out there somewhere floating about. Hopefully we might find it if we've got some weird Gnostic understanding, some secret understanding that we can get hold of somewhere. It's simple. The disciples knew it. The early church fathers knew it. Most of the testimonies from the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th onward centuries all testify to the effective power of the work of Christ in people to see transformation. 70% of what is going on in the world where the church is growing right now is because of the healing ministry of Christ. That's where it's happening. That's what's going on. So what are we doing? Do we turn around and say, no, too hard here? Not in my world. Not in reality. It's not here. Or what do we say? Do we say, I believe your testimony and your testimony is true? And so what do we then do with that? What do we allow to rise in us? Do we say it's always going to be in Africa or Asia or the Far East? It's always going to be in China. It's always going to be over there. No. Put your hand up if you've heard of healing activities and the miraculous in Britain. How did it come about? I'm not looking for formulas. It came about through trusting Jesus. It came about not through man's intelligence and man's ability and man's prowess, but it came about because of him. So I'm going to stop talking and let's give him the room. If anybody here is ill or sick or hurting emotionally, let's pray and let's pray together. And it's simple because what we're asking is him who paid the ultimate price to come and do what only he can do. So I'm going to stop talking because otherwise I keep going and we don't want that. And I'm going to open up the room and I'm going to ask you to pray for one another and bless one another. Now, if you find that uncomfortable, just stay where you are, quietly, sat and all the rest. And people will tell by your body posture that you're just doing work with God on your own. If you'd like to pray with others, then by all means, look up, look around, see to engage with those around you. All right. I don't want anybody feeling forced or pressured to do anything. Okay. And when you pray, try and pray in twos or threes, that would be great. And then let's just pray his blessing. The blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross is powerful and effective okay that's what he has done it's his gift to us so we either say we're not going to pray for fear that nothing happens or we're going to say i believe you jesus and we will keep on praying because we believe you whether we see it in the moment or we see it over weeks or whether we see it over months we will pursue you and we will pray because that's what you've asked your church to do i've got to stop talking <laughs> okay start praying for one another Bless one another.